face of danger when he was confronted by Amaziah the priest who said, I'm going to tell Jeroboam that you're prophesying against him. Amos said, that's fine, but I also have a prophecy against you. We saw that he was a, a humble servant more than uh, other prophets. He said, I came from Tekoa. I was just a shepherd. I was a, a dresser of sycamore figs. I just made these figs ready for people to eat. That's all I was doing. But the Lord uh, called me. And the, the final thing that we looked at was that he is an excellent and a gifted writer. Uh, uh, his uh, direct way of putting things, a colorful way of putting things. The, uh, the one writer says that Amos is a literary collage. It's, there's, there's many different things. And uh, it, it uh, was underscored to me this week that we need to pray that God would raise up more people like Amos that he would raise up more preachers like Amos, that he would raise up those who have an iron will and know how to use words to, uh, to uh, preach to people. Well, then we come to uh, verse 2. And uh, from verse 2 into uh, chapter 2, uh, the name Yahweh uh, is repeated over and over and over again. Uh, remember one time we looked at the uh, the Lexham English Bible, which is in the Logo software. It's not a physical Bible yet. It's only in that software. But they, but they use God's name that he revealed to Moses. And uh, it's important because here it's Yahweh roars from Zion. Yahweh says this, Yahweh says that. It, uh, it, it brings it uh, close to us. So Yahweh uh, roars from Zion. The first two lines of this verse are identical uh, to Joel chapter 3 and verse 16. There's some connection there uh, between Joel and Amos. And Joel's prophecy says that the effect is that the heavens and the earth quake. And that uh, fits in with Joel's uh, broader uh, uh, declaration that before the day of the Lord, God's going to do signs in the, in the heavens. Amos says, the pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. So here he was a, uh, a shepherd, and I'm sure that he understood having a lion around is no, is no good. You remember that uh, Samson and David uh, fought lions uh, in the wilderness. Uh, the shepherds mourn. We saw mourning already in Joel. The priests mourn. The, the grounds mourn. Uh, in Amos, it comes up a a couple more times in chapter 8 and verse 8. God is, uh, is speaking, but the, the reaction can be uh, mourning. Chapter 8, verse 8. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it? He, he asked them that question. When God starts to move, when God starts to uh, judge, when he moves among the nations, uh, there will be mourning. Chapter 9 and verse 5. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of the rise like the Nile. Two pictures of, of, of God's judgment, but it, 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 it causes mourning in Joel. In Joel, it's an exhortation to mourn. Uh, Joel's uh, scope is, is broader with the heavens and the earth, uh, and it fits with his prophecy. Amos talks about 
the top of Mount Carmel uh, withering. If you, if you can picture the land, uh, Carmel is in the, in the northeast uh, near uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Joel is preaching from Bethel. But as the Lord's voice roars out, it's going to uh, affect all the way throughout the whole land. Remember, his prophecy is against Israel, but nothing, nothing stops uh, God's word. Uh, Carmel is known for Elijah's victory over, uh, uh, over the prophets of Baal. Carmel is known that that's where uh, uh, David um, met Abigail when Nabal refused to give them food. And, and uh, uh, so we see right away that, that God's word uh, does not return to him void. When God speaks, the heavens and the earth are affected. When God speaks from Bethel all the way to Carmel uh, is affected. Uh, the, the, literally, he says that the, the tops of that Mount Carmel will just uh, wither away. There is a connection here to uh, uh, chapter uh, 3 and verse 1 uh, because of the repetition of the name Yahweh. Chapter 3 and verse 1 Hear this, that Yahweh has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. He goes back to the fact that I redeemed you. I took you to, to be my people. We're reminded of the call of Moses in the, in the burning bush. Moses is just out walking around and sees the bush. And God says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. He didn't even know it. And God says that this is holy ground. And the fire never went out from the bush. But each of the judgments on the nations that we'll see, God says, I'm going to send fire. I'm going to send fire over and over again. God at that time also reveals his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. That's a, it's an amazing scene, isn't it? Who, who should I tell the people is sending me? And God says, tell them I am who I am. Well, what does that mean? Uh, that, that's, that's Yahweh. That's the God who always is, who always was. There's no beginning. There's no end. God is eternally God. He's eternally powerful to save. He's eternally omniscient. He's eternally there to see the affliction of his people. That's what he's saying. But he's also eternally aware to see these sins against his holiness and against his law. They were delivered by Yahweh from Egypt, but they turned away uh, from Yahweh in, in many ways. So that, that's where the prophecy is going because Judah and Israel will be judged in, in, in chapter 2. And then chapter 3, it's all about Israel, and that's the focus. But the lion's roar was a terrible thing, even physically in that day. A lion roars to announce its territory, to give a warning of any, of any other lion. To, to, when it conquers something, it roars, and also to strike terror. If you were close to a lion and it roared... Uh, you would be scared. I did some reading. It says that uh, it says that a lion's roar can be heard up to five miles. Now that's that's not here with the background of of Route One, but that's out in out in 
space out where they live that can be heard that far. I remember going to a, a zoo one time and I was amazed how loud the roar of the lion. You almost wanted to look back. Is he, is he following? Is he getting closer? Because he kept roaring and the roar just traveled and, and traveled. Well, we talked about that. God's roar travels. God's roar goes where he appoints it. It's, it's a warning. It's a warning that God roars out of Zion, that he speaks out of Israel. Uh, one of the writers says, The voice of, of Yahweh is the thunder, the earthly substratum in which the Lord manifests his coming judgment. He says, he says it shakes the substratum. It's like thunder. It's like when the, if ever the rocket goes off, right? You feel it. The ground is shaking under your, shaking under your feet. When you feel thunder, we, we experienced it the other day, Gene and I. The, the, the thunder came and it just seemed like it rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. And the house, you could feel the house was affected by it. The, the lion is used as a picture in the judgment passages that we saw in the introduction. Because God says, I'm going to bring beasts and I'm going to put them out there and you'll be afraid to go out. Uh, the sluggard in Proverbs uses a lion as an excuse to be lazy. He says, really, I don't think I want to go to work today because there's a lion outside. There's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. But all through the Old Testament, this picture of the lion is a picture of power. And now God is compared to the lion, but he's much greater than any earthly picture. We saw it in Hosea. Chapter 5 and verse 14. I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. He says, I'm going to come and, and tear and carry you off. Hosea 11.10. They shall go after Yahweh. He will roar like a lion. And Hosea 13.8. There I will devour them like a lion. But God utters his voice from Zion and Jerusalem. From the place of his presence comes the roar. It was supposed to be, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's hear God's word. Let's worship. Let's see his glory. Let's see the temple. Let's see how he manifests himself to his people. And now a roar is coming out of there that you would say, I don't want to go to Zion. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. God is roaring from those places. He starts with these pictures of six nations Six nations God speaks to directly. And they are nations that don't worship him. They are nations that, that didn't hear his word. They are nations that weren't brought out of the land of Egypt. Uh, but they're all judged. And Judah and Israel have no time to be smug and point fingers. The Pharisees did it, didn't they? Oh, they called them Gentile dogs. You remember the study in Mark. Oh, I was down at the marketplace today. I, I better scrub my hands with that, scrub my arm with that special scrubbing because I might have Gentile stuff on me. That's how smug they were. But God judges these six nations and then he says the same thing is going to happen to Judah. The same thing is going to happen uh, to Israel. God's judgment is coming to them also. The nations had common grace and conscience. You're aware that Paul says they had conscience. The Gentiles have a conscience. It alternately accuses and excuses them. 
but they didn't have the full revelation. Israel had the highest privileges possible. Paul says they had the adoption, they had the glory, they had the covenants, they had the giving of the law, they had worship, and they had the promises. And then he says they have the patriarchs. We and they have three men who we can look at their lives and see how God worked out his initial promises in all three of them. Plus all the other stuff. Paul says Israel was entrusted with the oracles of God. The very words that came out of God's mouth they were entrusted with. Uh, they were entrusted with commands. They were entrusted with predictions about the Messiah. Your Savior is coming. The Messiah is coming. They, they were, were given promises and, and all this privilege. A and what do they do? There's a vast difference between the nations in Israel. There's greater revelation and greater responsibility and greater judgment. And Jesus, in a passage in Luke 12, talking about stewardship, says it's the same thing for us. Everyone, everyone, everyone in the room, everyone to whom much was given, of him much shall be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand much more, Luke 12, 48. And we have to ask ourselves, how's our stewardship? What is my stewardship of what I've been given? Have I been given the oracles of God? Yes, you have. How long have we all sat under sound preaching ministries, or at least preaching ministries that, 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 that preach the gospel? How, how much of God's law do we know? The adoption of sons. How much have we seen his glory? You say, well... I never saw a cloud following me everywhere, but if you know that God's working in your life, you've seen his glory. Yeah. It's possible, it's possible that in the teaching hour, in the worship, you've seen God's glory. You, you've said, I understand what it's like to stand before Yahweh, the creator of the earth, as a humble sinner, and what a privilege it is to bow before him and give him glory because I can see a piece of it. Not the whole thing. I don't have to come in here and say, well, the Lord took me up to heaven and then he brought me back. No, the, the glory is in the scriptures. The Israelites saw it. Their, their book wasn't even complete and ours, in, ours is, but they saw it. They were told how to worship, how to approach God. What a wonderful thing. What an amazing thing. Here's what I require. And I want you to come and bring that to me. And God says it's going to be a sweet aroma in my nostrils. Yours, your hymns, your prayers are going to come into my ears and I'll accept them. Accept them in Christ. We have much more than they did. We've talked about that before. I don't think we have to underscore that. But then from chapter 1 and verse 3 to chapter 2 and verse 16 come the judgment decrees. And there's five characteristics that each of them has. As God roars from Zion, his pattern of speaking to the nations is similar. Uh, and all of the uh, judgment decrees uh, contain the following. The first thing they contain is the words, thus says Yahweh. And, and then you're sure. Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh. You're sure. Who's, so who's saying this? Who's talking to me? 
the, well, God is, Yahweh is. Uh, these nations, they didn't serve him. They didn't acknowledge him. But he's coming and saying, I know. I know what you've done. I know your sins. Uh, the second pattern, and we'll see that, is the for three transgressions and for four. And we'll look at that in a little while. The third thing that he says is, I will not revoke punishment. Uh, some of the versions have italics. Uh, uh, he says, I will not cause it to turn back. Uh, the King James says, I won't revoke it. The ASV says, I won't turn away. I'm not going to revoke my word. He says, I'm roaring out of Zion. This is what the Lord says. I've seen your sin and now it's too late. I'm not turning my judgment away uh, from the nations. The fourth thing is, he says, I will send fire uh, upon you and devour your strongholds. He says that over and over again. To uh, the Ammonites, he says, I'll kindle a fire. But uh, once the fire starts, uh, you know it keeps going. Uh, he says that to the nations and then talks about specific cities and, and towns. We'll see that to the, to the Philistines. He names all the principal towns. Uh, and he says, judgment's coming to this one, that one, and this one. And uh, our studies in 1 Samuel will remind us of those, of those names. And we, we remember... Uh, the danger of fire. There, there's no fire department in those days. There, there's water in wells, and there's it's the water is not around. Once a fire starts, it's uh, it's going to be difficult to put out. So God says, "I'm going to put one of the worst things right in your midst, in all your cities, in all your places." Israel and Judah's sins are are drawn out even together from uh, verse nine to verse sixteen of. Uh, chapter 2. Uh, God did these great things for, for both of those nations, the, the whole nation as a whole, even when they separated, but they turned aside in many ways. They should have known better and acted better, but they acted as if they didn't know God, and they acted much worse. And then each prophecy, with only one exception, says at the end, says Yahweh. So the first of them says, thus says Yahweh, and the end of most of them says, says Yahweh. Chapter 1, verse 5, verse 8, verse 15. Chapter 2, 3 says, thus says Yahweh. And then our familiar thing in chapter 2, 11 and 2, 16 declares Yahweh. Uh, remember, Jeremiah has a, a, over a hundred times declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh, declares Yahweh. This is, this is fixed. This is what God's going to do. This is, that you, can't, you can't get away from it. Because he says, this is what I'm going to do at the beginning of the, of the judgment. And he says, this is what I'm going to do at the end. The repetition of the words are a reminder of God's judgment against the sins of men. And then we'll look at this for three transgressions and for four. You, you know that there's a pattern in Proverbs chapter 30 and, and verses 15, 18, 21, and 29. And the, and the writer in the, those Proverbs is saying, uh, I beheld, I beheld a certain thing. And, and three things I beheld, and the fourth uh, was different. So, for instance, he says there's three things that are wonderful, and the fourth thing is I don't understand. 
So the, the fourth thing is categorically more than the others, isn't it? He, he looks at three things and he says, wow, that's wonderful. But he looks at the fourth and he says, I, I, don't, I don't understand anything. I don't understand how this could happen. The second one says, there's, there's three things that, that cause the world to tremble. And then there's a fourth thing that the world can't even bear up. Well, trembling is one thing, but not being able to bear up is another. He says, there's three things that are small, four things that are exceedingly wise. You see that? Small. Oh, what's that? Exceedingly wise. Well, that, that, that blows my mind. How something so small could be exceedingly wise. And that, that's the point. Then he says, there's, there's three things that tread, right? You just walk. And, and, and four things that stride. Stride is different, right? If you say, look at him striding around here, you, you wouldn't get the picture. Well, that's what he's saying. One of them is a king when he's got his army. He's, he's the man. He's striding. He's not treading. He's not just walking along. He's striding. So the fourth thing goes above and beyond. But, but why did God put the numbers in? Well, there's some thoughts on the numbers. One of the thoughts that it is, it really doesn't represent an actual number. Well, God didn't, God didn't have this list and say, well, well, the Philistines, I've got you down for three sins, and now there's another one. It's much more than that. How many times do we sin a day? How many times could, could God count? Lord, if you marked iniquity, who could stand? But there's forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So it's not an actual number. And, and some writers say, well, if you add the three and the four, that's seven. And, and seven's like the perfect number. Okay? I, I don't quite go along with that. But, but Job, uh, Job 5.19, he says, he'll deliver you from six troubles and seven evil will not touch you. But the, but the idea is the same. Have I been in trouble in my life only six times? Right? Yeah, six times since last month. But, but, but the point is, if God delivers you six and then comes seven, it means Yahweh is going to take care of you all the time. He takes care of you all the time. You don't have to list. Oh, this is my fifth trouble. I only got two more. No, it's not keeping track. It means he'll take care of you. To the, to the end. And then the three, four, I think, in, in this Amos passage, is like the Proverbs. God saw three sins, and the fourth completed the symbol to them and prompted his judgment. Kyle and Dalit say the numbers merely serve to denote the multiplicity of sins, the exact number of which has no bearing on the matter. If God sees four of your sins, you've got an issue with four the rest doesn't matter. He says judgment's coming. They go on to say it denotes not a small but a large number of crimes or ungodliness in its worst form. And when we look at it, it's interesting because in these prophecies, he doesn't list four things or three things. He lists a characteristic sin. But, but the three and the four is that image. You had three and then you had four. And, and now I'm speaking, judgment is going to come. Uh, Barnes says, an additional transgression beyond the former, the last sin, whereby the measure of sin which before was full, now it overflows and God's wrath comes. 
you're, you're familiar with surface tension in liquids, aren't you? You, you could have a glass and you can pour water in it and it will actually go over the top. And somehow water holds itself together. But then there's that one drop, that one extra drop, and it finally breaks the tension and it starts to, to go out. That, that's what Barnes is saying. It's not the, a matter of the count. It's the fact that now your sin is full. You've broke the surface tension. But these passages highlight the great mercy of God and assure judgment. If there's more than three or four sins, how merciful has God been to the Ammonites? If there's more than three or four sins, how merciful has God been to the Edomites or the Moabites or the Philistines? Abundantly evil, abundantly merciful. Paul says in Acts 17, the times of ignorance are past. Now God calls all men everywhere to repent. God overlooks ignorance in his mercy. He overlooked my ignorance and my sin. He had mercy on me. He could have cataloged it out and say, Art, I've got this written against you. Colossians says there, it's like there's a, a handbill written against us and Christ's salvation and Christ's blood took it away. Took all these things that were written against me. Took it away. It shows his, it highlights his great mercy, but it also highlights his sure judgment. Because when God says that the surface tension is broken and judgment is coming, it's going to come. Physically, written down in the scripture are many of the judgments that came to, the, to these nations. Physically, we'll turn to passages and you'll say, it really happened exactly the way God said. This this lion roaring is, is bracketed in a sense in uh, uh, chapter 3 and, and verse 8. He speaks to Israel and Judah and then he talks about Israel's guilt and punishment. And then he says, the lion has roared. Not the lion roars out of Zion. He has roared. Who will not fear? Who's not going to fear when Jehovah comes in judgment, when Yahweh comes in judgment. The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? The idea, the idea is somebody better go out there and tell other people that God's judgment is coming. Oh, you say, why are you studying the minor prophets? It's all judgment, judgment, judgment. No, it's not. That's a false view of it. But somebody has to tell people that God's judgment is coming. Who can but prophesy? If you have any shred of mercy, any shred of compassion towards sinners, you'll tell them God's judgment is coming. It's coming. The day of the Lord is coming, underscored in Joel. And here God says, who can but prophesy? And so we, we, we move into... Uh, Oh, we move into the judgments against the nations. Uh, first one is Damascus or, or Syria. And God says that this main sin is that they threshed Gilead. Notice, notice he doesn't list three sins and then another one. He doesn't say, here there's three sins that I caught you doing, and here's the other one. 
I will not revoke punishment, he says, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. That's the only thing. So see, the three and four isn't a number, but God knows more than, than the threshing. So they thresh Gilead with, uh, with, uh, with iron, and 2 Kings 11, uh, 32 and 33, uh, says that the Syrian king, Haziel, took over this area. Uh, there's another verse that says, Haziel and Benadad took over uh, Zebulun and Naphtali. They, they were taken over. Remember, uh, uh, Jesus fulfills the prophecy when he comes and preaches repentance. Zebulun and Naphtali, they lived in darkness, now they live in light. Well, they were constantly overrun uh, by them. Haziel and Ben-Hadad are Syrian kings, and then God says, here's the action, I'm going to break the gate bar. Uh, uh, old gates used to open like this, and there would be a huge bar that would go across. And the idea was that that bar had to be so snug that, that you, you couldn't give any give, right? Because once you have movement, once you have movement, you're, you're on your way to breaking it down. But if it doesn't move, now you've got to get it to move first. So God says, I'll just snap the, I'll just break the gate bar. And, and uh, uh, he's saying to Damascus, your enemies are going to come right in because I'm going to break the gate bar. Well, nobody can break our gate bar. Well, yes, yes, it can be broken. Then he says, I'm going to cut off inhabitants. He's going to He's going to stop uh, their movements. They're, they're, they're going to try to escape. And it says they'll be taken into to Kir, K-I-R. 2 Kings 16, 19, Assyria conquers and they're taken to Kir, exactly like he says. And then it ends up with saying, says Yahweh. Then we get to Gaza. These are the Philistines. Uh, Pharaoh... Pharaoh came and conquered them, Jeremiah 47, 1 and verse 5. The Philistines were always at war with Israel. The studies in 1 Samuel, we saw that over and over again. Right? It's a, it's a Philistine battle that kills Eli's sons, and Eli hears of the report that the battle is lost, his sons are dead, and the ark is captured, and he falls over and breaks his neck and he dies. And then where does the ark go? It goes right to Ashdod, right to one of these uh, cities that, that's going to be judged. Over and over again, over and over again, they, they come in. Uh, let's see. Oh, Chronicles. Second Chronicles 28, almost at the end of the Chronicles. And... Uh, you know, this was a constant back and forth. They were a thorn in Israel's side the whole time. Second Chronicles 28, 18. And the Philistines had made raids on the cities of the Shephelah and the Negeb of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Aijalon, Gedaroth, Sako with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gizmo with its villages. And they settled there for the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz. That's what they would do. They'd just come in, take as many cities as possible, and settle. This is our place now. Get rid of all the Israelites. You don't, you don't want enemies in your territory. So you get rid of the Israelites. And they, and they, uh, they displace the people. 
then you have no enemies to deal with. The text says they were uh, uh, delivered, delivered to Edom. Well, we we just conquered. Uh, we just conquered and delivered them up to Edom. Uh, uh, verse six. So we just conquered all these cities. Who else? Who else hates the Israelites? Oh, the Edomites. Let's take all these captives over there and we'll sell them to them. And the Edomites will have the pleasure of making servants out of their enemies. Okay, that's what we'll do. And that's what they did. In Joel chapter 3 verses 4 and 6, it says they sold them to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Now, the cities, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron, they're along this uh, uh, coastal area. Right, uh, Gaza was was actually called the gateway to Egypt, so they're right there on a trade route. What happened to Joseph? Right, you're sitting there. Who's coming? Caravan. Where's it going? Egypt. So what did they do? Oh, right here, we conquered all these people. Hey, you need any slaves? Yeah, we do. Here they are. Take them as far away from here as possible. God's wrath will, will turn against all the main cities of the Philistines. The nation uh, will be decimated. And his thorough judgment, notice, notice at the end of that uh, prophecy, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish. Oh, wait a minute. I thought the remnant was the last people that were left. I thought the remnant was a little bit of people that were remaining. Uh, God says no. I'm going to wipe out even the remnant, says, says the Lord God. So that's Gaza. The last one we'll look at today is, is Tyre. We'll, we'll finish three out of the six. And Tyre is a northern city that's on the coast. And it, it was on the trade route also, uh, but, but up further north. And you remember uh, 1 Kings chapter 5, uh, Solomon gets help from Hiram. Uh, the king of uh, Tyre. And, and they knew all about how to get wood and how to get all this stuff. And, and they, they, they were friends. He was friends with David originally. And, and they, they just brought all this stuff so he could build the temple. Uh, but what happened? Well, it seems like the relationship changed. And God just says, they did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. And they made... They made other alliances. They said, well, you know, we're not going to work with Israel anymore. And what happened? For three and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they delivered up the whole people to Edom. So the, the, the people from Tyre and Sidon in that area, they did the same thing. Well, we're going to conquer these Israelite cities or towns. I, I couldn't find the record of it. But let's see, where, where can we find a market for Israelite captives? Well, we'll go to Edom. Same as the uh, same as the other prophecy. There's a lot of Israelites, evidently, in Edom. So I'll send fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall destroy destroy her strongholds. Uh, thus says the Lord. Thus says Yahweh. Well, uh, we'll stop there for today. Uh, let's ask God to bless our time. God, we tremble at these things. We 
First of all, Lord, if we counted our own sins, we might be under your judgment, but we bless you for the salvation that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, we know that many nations, even our own, have filled up the number of iniquities that could provoke your judgment. We're thankful for the mercy that you show to this nation. We're thankful for the mercy that you show to the globe. We pray that you would help us to be like Amos and be bold to let people know that there's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's salvation from the coming day of the Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.